Coming soon to a theater near you, it's The Equalizers, a weekly podcast where two idiots drop a cinema sibling in the lap of a perfectly content solo film. My name is Mike Knoll, and I am joined, as always, by the sequel to my prequel, The Ghost of Madison Jones. Madison Jones, are you in good form? Superman. <laughs> Superman. Superman. What's your uh, favorite Superman villain, Madison? Um, The... Uh guy with the nice suit Mm -hmm. and his name being um i think it's uh idris elba as luther yep idris elba luther idris Uh, elba luther classic classic superman villain um um (laughs) good good bit bit. another good bit to start out the episode it's it's Classic equalizers. You flavor. know they're only getting Good better. Starting bit. You know they're only getting better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as you can tell by the great uh, deep cut reference there and the episode title, we are doing the Iron Giant this week, and we are joined by mm, acquaintance. Would you say that's fair? Uh, I was gonna go with like mortal enemy, but I mean, I mean, yeah, I yeah, like yeah, okay, that's fair. You're <laughs> Yeah, so uh, bringing on to the show acquaintance slash mortal enemy, Jesse Fleming. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the audio world. Thank you. This is new for me. <laughs> Whereas before, you <laughs> yeah. could not speak could, before or listen okay. here. I don't know sign language, so it was just it was a really terrible way to go through life. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of facial expressions. <laughs> I know Morse code, and that's it. <laughs> Blinking Morse code. Working at Blue Man Group. And seeing the guys interact with each other on stage, you can communicate without words for uh, sure. <laughs> just just by facial you know I mean? expressions alone, like I can tell when they're, I can tell when they're like upset. They're happy. They thought something was very funny with just a stoic look on their face. Okay, Madison, but we gotta know. Can you tell when they're horny? Yes, and it's all the time. So, <laughs> I mean, they're always horny. That's how to go through life. Yeah. I mean, that's a requirement for being in Blue Man Group. Like, I auditioned for them, and it was like, I want, you know, like, you're on 24 7, and I wasn't about that life, so they, yeah. they, didn't, they didn't hire me. Yeah. But weirdly, um, they did all that with facial expressions. <laughs> so, uh, Jesse, you picked Iron Giant this week. I did. I know one of the reasons was because it was on Netflix, but what about Iron <laughs> Giant put it on your short list? Um, I actually just watched it a couple weeks before you would even ask. Mm hmm the movie and um i don't know it's just one of those cartoons that's good for kids and adults and it has a really good message in it i think the tagline for the movie superman (laughs) superman besides that is like um what if a gun had a soul and it didn't want to be a gun anymore and i like that idea that's a very long tagline for a movie yeah it is a very like i think they could have cut it off as what what if a gun had a soul i think they could have cut it out then (laughs) It sounds like some kind of 80s Mel Gibson, uh, like, or Sylvester Stallone action movie plot of, like, what if a gun had a soul? Yeah. That'll be, that's my sequel. There you go. You got it. Well, all right. Well, that's credits on another episode of The Equalizers. Do guns, do guns have heaven? Do all guns go to heaven? Do all guns go to heaven? Madison, we're saving that for our, for our bit at the end. Do, we'll guns, like do guns dream of electric sheep? 
you just also just looking at movies on your shelf next to no, your Matt, desk shut up. and trying shut up, to <laughs> fit hey, Matt, gun sh- into sh- them. Sh- Madison, sh- shut up. We can see you. We can what? see you. Just <laughs> um, still see you through your hand. Would be a uh, fucking narc, Madison. You used to be cool when you were alive. Yeah. You you won't have heard this yet, Jesse, because the recording schedules. But his plane crashed doing the dynamite run. Yeah. Oh. It blew up. That sounds dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they died. So I died. <laughs> I died, and um, for so- my unfinished business is to do this podcast. I guess every which, week. Yeah, every week. So until there are no that more sequels left to be made. That's, That's an important purpose. There's a there's like a TV show for you. I can't die until I've made a sequel to every movie. Hundred sequels of Madison Jones. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so Jesse liked this movie. Madison, did you like this movie? Yeah. Um, that sounded very convincing. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, okay. <laughs> I I've seen this movie many times before, like throughout mm-hmm. my life, and this past time I had the thought while i was watching it does this really need to be a cartoon could have this been like a live action movie uh because it's kind of a story about this kid who finds this thing and is hiding it from the government and then i'm like oh wait that's et they made that movie already (laughs) (laughs) they were actually going to make this movie a musical with um is it the lead singer of the Who? Pete something or other. Oh, wow. Anyway, he had written it into a musical, and they decided that they wanted to do a cartoon instead. Is, is that somewhere out there that me specifically, but then the listener incidentally could find? Um, I found it on IMDb, but I was also going through some YouTube videos with uh, like interviews with Bob Bird, the director, huh. and Pete, whatever his last name is. Uh, Brad Bird. Brad Bird. <laughs> what? <laughs> fake fan. Fake fan. <laughs> But anyway, he actually did an interview about it, and he did all the music for it. And then at the end, they're like, oh, well, we're not actually going to turn this into a musical. And he's like, whatever, I still got paid. That's amazing. <laughs> that's definitely a Pete Townsend thing to say. Mm-hmm. Pete Townsend, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I agree with Madison that, like, watching this, I thought, okay, like, right off the top of my head, I have, like, an idea for what we could do as the improv. And I was like, oh, no, that's what they were going to do with et2 theoretically yeah and i was like yeah this is kind of just et actually <laughs> et with the giant robot <laughs> well i found some people who didn't like this movie terribly much on uh rotten tomatoes that's right gang it's time again for that classic segment pop is tomatoes Alright, so this first review is from CJS, who gave the movie two stars. We enjoyed the movie, but did not enjoy having to explain to your kids why there was cursing in a cartoon movie. <laughs> what cursing was there? Did they say ass? Uh, I think they might have said, like, damn or hell. I, I remember cl- like noticing that they said there was like a little bit of cursing, but it wasn't that much. You remember when Hogarth just turned to the camera and said, fuck? <laughs> Like right into our eyes, the viewer, and was like, "Fuck, man!" <laughs> yeah, the end of the movie. He just wants He's the, like that's <laughs> little, the little scr- screws rolling up the window. Camera pans around right on his face. Just, fuck. <laughs> He's like, "Holy fuck! That's a giant robot." Credit roll. And Dean's like, "Yeah, shit, it is." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shit, it is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Um, I have another one. Here it is. This one's a little bit longer, but I think it's worth it. This one is by Liv H., who gave it three and a half stars. I loved this movie when I was littler. After years and a move, I found it and watched it. It was so sweet. It reminds you that some things are worth fighting for. With all the violent movies with awful humor and language, it's nice to find a non-stupid kids movie that you'll leave the couch thinking about. That one is definitely going on my shelf of good movies. I remember that me and my cousin would watch this movie over and over. Then we'd watch Finding Nemo over and over. Of course, that was before what we call the middle school crisis. In middle school... What? I know. What even is that? Well, in middle school, you have to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I don't want one, though. I want to just watch all the movies I can. What? Plus all the acting. Yeah. <laughs> this person went on My hands are up in the air, just like, what is happening? I don't know how old this person I'm... is, because they, they started talking about this in, like, thinking about the past, and then they're saying, I don't want one, though. Like, now they don't. Yeah. They're like 11 or 12, but they think that they're an adult. Like that sweet spot. <laughs> well, it just seems like if it, if it is a middle schooler making this review, they're having somewhat of an existential crisis. Like <laughs> yes. somehow they have jumped forward and are not already looking back on their life. Like it's you know like, what? oh, the middle school crisis, you know? I bet this is, I bet Liv H is actually Tom Hanks and Big. Oh, shit. That makes sense. Well, so she's it's a it's a middle schooler caught in an adult body thinking back on their middle school body. <laughs> Plus, all the acting is great. I just looked at the synopsis and Vin Diesel is in it. Man, that means I've loved him ever since I was really little. End of review. <laughs> Haven't we? All? I didn't do justice to the multiple exclamation points at the end of many of these sentences, but I mean, how do you really get? All right, you know what, Madison, take a run at saying, uh, I just looked at the synopsis and Vin Diesel is in it, but with four exclamation marks. I just look at the synopsis, and it looks like Vin Diesel is in it. Okay, so... Good emphasis. Yeah, Mr. Roboto. Um, (laughs) It's fitting for this movie. It is. That's true. Well done. Those are the interviews. Madison, I'm not sure if... Are you satisfied with those reviews? I'm satisfied, but we could theoretically do a another new bit, Jesse. I don't know. Did we do it in Invisible Dad? <laughs> yeah, we did. Okay. I think you did. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Dwarf King sixty nine. We could do a three uh, a three person review. Oh man, Fudge, you're making history here as the first ha- ha- guest to work on a King Dwarf review. How do I do this? So- <laughs> So, for anyone who's unfamiliar, uh, whenever Madison and I find a movie, we don't find any reviews that, like, or a review that really satisfies, like, a good, sweet Snickers bar. We um, will make up our own under the guise of the reviewer, King Dwarf 69 For the title, we alternate one word at a time. And then for the body of the review, we alternate one sentence at a time. So, I think we'll let Jesse go first, and then Madison, and then me. Okay. So, you get to start the review title. The kind people of this great movie suck <laughs> ass. Excellent. The great people of this movie suck ass. Okay. I would read that yeah. review. That's, that's a catchy. <laughs> and now we must go sentence by sentence. 
making the re- building the review. Mm-hmm. I'll have you also know, Jesse. I do post these on Rotten Tomatoes under the King Dwarf persona, <laughs> so this will be yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> okay, I support this decision. <laughs> All right. How do I have to sure. This movie would have been great, except for the terrible character actors. Also, the robot didn't make me horny enough. And a third thing, I had really bad gas in the theater when I saw this. Zero stars. <laughs> All right. I like it. You know, there Madison, we, we may eventually have to return to our roots of reviews and make something that sounds really murdery. Yeah. <laughs> but that's for another day because King Dwarf has spoken and we are on to the synopsis. This movie takes place in 1957, which for you history buffs out there, that's when Sputnik was launched. So. During the Cold War, everybody's super paranoid. They think the Russians are out to get them. So um, imagine everyone's surprised when a giant metal man falls from the space and he lands off the coast of Maine. And he ends up befriending a nine-year-old boy named Hogarth. And um, Hogarth is a really smart boy, uh, like get degrees smart. And he knows about all of the tension that's going on. So he knows he kind of has to keep this iron giant hidden from everybody or else um the government's gonna come for him which is what ends up happening a government agent named kent mansley which is the best name ever and is voiced by christopher mcdonald who is just hollywood's go-to douchebag he comes into town and he basically starts stalking hogarth like he moves into their house i thought you said doxing for a minute (laughs) (laughs) he just starts posting hogarth's address all over town and uh, Hogarth's single mother who rents out the room to him. And so Hogarth knows he has to uh, come up with a better way to hide the Iron Giant besides just, like, keeping him in the woods. And Hogarth befriends another man named Dean who runs a scrapyard. He's, like, a beatnik artist slash scrapyard owner. And uh, Hogarth convinces him... Yes, just like that. Hogarth convinces him that um, it's okay that the giant stays there and eats his scrap metal. And uh, that'll be how they keep him safe from the nefarious agent. But uh, Kent Mansley is always on the case. And he ends up kind of tricking Hogarth by threatening his mom. Yeah. Uh, He threatens Hogarth's mother. And so Hogarth lets him know... Uh, where the Iron Giant has. And then Mainsley chloroforms him. Yeah, yeah. I know, that's terrible. Um, my, my husband walked into the room right during that scene, and he's like, did that man just drug that small child? It's like, yes, he did. I've never really seen this movie before, this, this show. Like, I'd seen bits and pieces here and there, but never, like, all the way through. And I was just watching this, like, oh, shit. Like, oh, he just chloroformed a boy. Yeah. Kent Mansley throughout this movie seems to be very intimidated by Hogarth for some reason. Like, it, some odd reason he's scared of this little boy. It's like, he thinks that Hogarth is, like, going to Hulk up and, like, beat his ass or something at any moment. Like, <laughs> Well, in Kent's defense, Hogarth constantly outsmarts him. That's like, true. He puts chocolate egg flats on his ice cream, and that's how he ditches him the first time. <laughs> and... I don't know, Hogarth is just a lot smarter than Kent Mansley. I mean, who isn't, though? The second time that they outsmart him is that Hogarth goes to the scrapyard and warns the giant and Dean about uh, Kent bringing 
basically the army with him to destroy this iron giant and so they dress him up like one of these uh art statues and uh it works and the government thinks that uh Kent Nancy is an idiot and basically fires him but it doesn't end up working out because Hogarth it starts playing with the giant after the army leaves and he's using a toy gun and that kind of triggers the iron giant's natural mm-hmm defense mechanism against seeing weapons so he starts firing this green plasma cannon thing out of his eyes he almost kills hogarth and so uh he ends up running away and that's when the army sees him again and they turn around their trucks around because again like the army's still right there and it's a 50 foot tall mm-hmm. giant i don't know why nobody thought that they couldn't see him just by him standing yeah up. The proportion of the giant seems to be relative on what scene he is in <laughs> at the moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it changes. It's supposed to be 50 feet, but... I mean, at one point, he's only six inches tall, which is really a weird yeah. scene. <laughs> I guess it depends on the size of your, your monitor that you're watching him on. Yeah. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> in- that seemed very <laughs> aggressive, Jesse. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> It's like, oh, I don't know, maybe you were just watching on a very small monitor, unlike me. <laughs> Not all of us get to live in an abandoned movie theater, Jesse. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's just where I settled. I like it there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you're, you're interrupting my synopsis. That's what we do. Have you listened to the show before, Jesse? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I knew this was coming. But anyway, in... in uh, the midst of the giant running away, two little boys from town also see him, because again, 50 foot giant, and they get so excited, they're standing on the top of a building, and they get so excited that they start falling off, and the giant goes into Superman mode, and he sprints into town, and he catches them before they fall to their death, which kind of wins the town over, like, they were scared of him at first, but he saved a couple of kids, so how bad could he be? But the army doesn't care about that, and neither does Kit Mansley, so he convinces them to open up an all-out strike on him, basically. He's being attacked from planes, he's being attacked from ships, they even mention they're gonna um, use an atomic bomb on him, since that's a new fun invention. And um, they Kent Mansley tricks the government and says that he killed a kid, meaning Hogarth, but really the giant was saving Hogarth and he had him in his hand the whole time. So the government is attacking him under the idea that he killed a child, but then Hogarth's mom steps in and is like, no, he has my kid, my kid's still alive, you're firing at my child. And uh, Kent steals the general's walkie-talkie before the general can call off the strike and he basically calls a nuclear weapon down on this small town in Maine. And the general's like, that's lost on the giant's position. Where's the giant's position, Mansley? And Mansley looks up and he's like, oh, he's, he's right here. <laughs> so basically he called an airstrike on himself and he tries to flee. And the general's like, no, you're going to stay here and you're going to die like a man. Because it got real serious real fast. Yeah. Just everyone in this town, all the families, everyone's just going to fucking die because Kent Mansley is a dick. That's <laughs> right. He chloroformed all of them before. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I joked with my husband before. I'm like, oh, they had that video that the kids had to watch in school where they hide under their desk. They'll just go, they'll go hide under their desk. They'll survive an atomic bomb. It'll be fun. Well, well, there's a there's a moment like when the bombs in the sky where Dean, it's Dean, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Dean turns to the mom, or the mom says, shouldn't we go to a bunker or something? And Dean's like, it won't matter. <laughs> yeah. And it wouldn't. He's absolutely yeah. right. It wouldn't matter. Yeah. Uh, but to save the day, uh, the Iron Giant goes into Superman mode again, and he flies up, and he takes the the bomb, and he flies it into Earth's atmosphere, where it explodes. And um, you think that that's the end, that the giant is dead, but then at the very end, Hogarth is given a piece of the Iron Giant. It's the only piece that the general found. It's a little screw, and it lights up, and it goes towards his window, because I didn't mention this at the beginning, but it's kind of important. The giant can reassemble himself, and uh, that coming to life and rolling towards the window is a sign that the giant is still alive, and he's just putting himself back together somewhere, which uh, is, I think it's in the Arctic, I'm imagining that's where he landed, mm-hmm. uh, since they were in Maine to begin with. So it's in snowy landscape, and he's putting himself back together, and it's kind of a happy ending. All right. So uh, with that synopsis down, then we move, Jesse. It's time for the Iron Giant 2. Step up on this soapbox. Deliver your gospel to the people. We will heckle you, though. (laughs) That's fine, because, you know, when you come up with ideas and it sounds really good in your head at the time and then you put it down on paper afterwards and you're like, oh, that's not... That's not really And this is the next step. It's putting it down on paper and then putting it out into the world for me to hear. Yeah. I was going to say, I I direct you to our back catalog of episodes to answer your question. (laughs) Well, heckle away. It's probably going to need this. Okay, so the idea for my pitch came from. You've got to at least wait for me to get some out there. Come on. The idea came from two different places. The first is from a deleted scene that was from the original movie, and they actually uh, added it later when they released it in 2015. <laughs> Basically, the giant, uh, the first night that he is in the scrapyard, he falls asleep, because I guess machines can sleep, and he has a dream. It's more of a nightmare, and it's uh, kind of his origin story. You get to see him with a whole army of iron giants, and you see them attacking a very technologically advanced um, city. And then after they're done destroying the city, they just destroy the whole planet. So that's kind of where the Iron Giant came from and what he doesn't want to be anymore. And um, a cool tidbit about that is while he's having this dream, he is able to project these images onto Dean's television uh, inside his house. Because Dean wakes up from sleeping on his chair and he sees a planet getting destroyed. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's one idea that I, I kind of borrowed from. And then the next one is I kind of stole the main antagonist for this idea from the original uh, short story that this is based on. It's called It was called The Iron Man, mm-hmm. which they obviously changed the title for, uh, you know, Marvel reasons. But... Uh, Basically, there's a, a, a villain in that that ends up being the equivalent of a space dragon. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I read that and I'm like, oh, space dragon. Space more. dragon. So um, it's my idea to be space dragon. That's uh, from the original. Okay. Okay. So, like the first movie took place after an important step in the space race, Sputnik. Um, I'm going to have the sequel take place shortly after the moon landing, which is, it took place in 69, so the movie will take place either in late 69 or early 1970. 
Um, I figure the movie will open much like the original one did in space, and uh, it'll be a shot of the U.S. flag on the moon's landing, and then it's going to zoom towards Earth. Uh, and then on our way through space, we're going to get a glimpse of this Iron Army approaching, and it's going to be led by this giant silhouette that is framed by these giant mechanical dragon wings. And that's how that character sets himself apart from all of the other Iron Giants. So, we're going to cut to an airplane hangar on Earth. Hogar is now 21 years old. And uh, much like his deceased father before him, uh, he wanted to become an Air Force pilot. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I mentioned that in the synopsis, but uh, it's briefly touched on that his dad was a pilot. So I didn't think it would be that much of a stretch that Hogarth would want to be one as well. And we're going to take out a step further because he's an incredibly, he was an incredibly intelligent little boy, like he skipped grades. So I think that he would also want to be a future astronaut. And uh, the best way, or one of the best ways to become an astronaut is to log in a bunch of flight hours. And what better way to do that than to be part of the Air Force? You gotta have the right stuff. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's a that's a movie <laughs> reference about the space race. Okay. It's called it's called the, it's a movie called The Right Stuff. Oh, see, I don't I don't know these things. I thought it was just a very deep cut Apollo thirteen reference. That famous scene where Tom Hanks looks right at the camera and says, we got the right stuff to save this shuttle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Tom Hanks. Okay, anyway. So, to get his flight hours in to become an astronaut, he volunteered to fly um, supplies to a research center in the Arctic, which, if you remember, that is where the Iron Giant landed. And Hogarth knows that. Um, I'm you guys might need to help me with this. I was trying to think of how he could still be in touch with the Giants before he had access to an airplane, and I don't... Like, something that would let him know that the Giant was in the Arctic. Mm-hmm. I know he has the ability to project images, so maybe the Giant projected images that he was safe in the Arctic. To maybe maybe he... It's, it's very far away, but maybe he could project, like, flashing images, and it, like has some sort of like code to it that like mm-hmm. Hogarth could like decipher. I like that. That's a good idea. Uh, I mean like, also the government probably via satellite image like images or whatever probably knows the giants in the Arctic and might have told him. Maybe. Yeah. That could be it too. I mean I don't know why they'd want to tell a little boy, but I mean, I mean they gave him a piece of the technologically advanced spaceman as a souvenir, so yeah. I don't know if I like that. I like both of those are good. I like the I like the one where Hogarth figures it out himself because okay. right? I think that just emphasizes how smart. He yeah, that's fine. And I, you have to be smart to be an actor. And I get uncomfortable if you agree with me too much. Yeah, that's exactly why I went with that. That's yeah. idea. <laughs> I, I I guess that's a win for me. <laughs> it is. It is not a win. It was a good idea before yeah. you said it. So you're you're fine. <laughs> okay, so established Hogarth knows that the uh, Iron Giant is in the Arctic. So while he is uh, applying the supplies to a research center in the Arctic, he also piles in some uh, excess scrap metal that he gets from his stepdad Bean's um, scrapyard so that he can drop by and give the Iron Giant a present. And so this is where the Iron Giant comes in. Um, 
he realizes that his presence after everything that happened is still probably going to be a bit scary to Americans, uh, especially with the Cold War still in full swing. So instead of putting himself back together and then going back to Maine, where Hogarth is, he decides to stay in the Arctic, which uh, he kind of got that idea from Superman, because that's where his Fortress of Solitude Mm -hmm. is. So he kind of makes his own Fortress of Solitude. And uh, first thing I thought of was, oh, what's he going to eat up there? And I looked it up, and there's a bunch of uh, like raw metal minerals that are actually everywhere in the Arctic. Okay. So, what I'm going to have happen is that in this Fortress of Solitude, it kind of goes into mines, like he makes his own mines, so that he can eat like the iron ore and the nickel yeah. and copper that sure. are there. Absolutely. Hey, it's, it's somewhat plausible. I, I did research on it. It is plausible. Hey, that's that's all you need. You just need a foothold, you know? And then exactly. you can just run with it. So that's how he's staying alive. And um, Hogarth's going to visit him, and we're going to get an inside look in this Fortress of Solitude. And he's kind of made it a little bit homey. And uh, you can see around the cave that uh, Hogarth has been giving him presents over the years. Like, there's a stack of comic books, especially the Superman comic books that he still brings Are they in. bagged and boarded? Because if you, if I mean, if they're collectibles. Oh, my God. No, he, he just wants to read them. He doesn't want oh, to share them. Some, but one day, those could be worth a lot of money, Jesse. <laughs> some, somehow, I think, somehow, I think the sub-zero temperatures would like maybe just destroy them anyway. no that's what the bags are for madison <laughs> jesus They're, oh so uh your your standard uh comic book uh seal would protect from sub-zero temperatures yes yeah, thank you <laughs> okay also in a cave it would be a little bit warmer because it would be protected from the wind and things like that again sure. it's, it's plausible <laughs> It's just need a foothold. <laughs> yeah. I, That's all that matters. All right, we'll continue. I, I can't support the poor comic storage of the Iron Giant. But... Hey, what's he going to do with money? Is he going to eat it? <laughs> I mean, probably the coins. I mean, the coins, yeah. <laughs> he has to get, he sells them and asks for the payment only in coins. <laughs> back, to the, back to the Fortress of Solitude. Um, we see Hogarth visit with him a little bit, and you see that their relationship is still really strong. Uh, Hogarth has brought a thermos of coffee to keep himself a little bit warm, and, uh, it's gonna be kind of like a flashback to that jittery scene that he has in the original movie where he has espresso for the first time. He still can't handle his caffeine, so he's, like, jittering all around the cave, and he's talking about, like, his dreams of how he wants to fly in space, and how his mom and Dean are doing, um... So basically, just a quick way to catch him up on his life. And that's probably how we'll learn how that he wants to be an astronaut. Um, so after that, once Hogarth flies away, we're going to cut to the Kennedy Space Center, which is in Florida. And that's where uh, Apollo 11 took off for the moon landing. And uh, this is where the Iron Giant army that we saw at the beginning of the movie uh, is going to first invade. So... Uh, I was, I didn't know how many, how many giants needed to make up the army. I didn't want a whole lot because I didn't want just the entire earth to be overrun immediately. So they're really powerful. We see how powerful the iron giant is in the original movie. They don't need a lot Mm -hmm. of them to destroy the planet. So I'm thinking maybe like 50 to a hundred. Okay. 
Not. Oh, just I just to say like four. No, no, yeah, no. So I, did I. I thought. <laughs> okay. What do you call a group of giants? Like you know how it's like um. Like a gaggle. Of oh, now I'm blanking on, on oh, any. I, I would examples. say a horde, right? A horde. A horde. Oh, um, a cup. A cup. <laughs> a. A sheets. A sheets. Uh, <laughs> a, a bathtub. A bathtub of, of, of iron giants. A ladle. A ladle. A ladle of giants. <laughs> a pickle jar. A floret. Ooh, that's a good word. <laughs> floret. All right, I think that's it. Floret. A floret of giants. A floret of giants has invaded the Kennedy Space Center, <laughs> led by um, the menacing silhouette that we saw before, which now we see him in clear as day, and he looks similar to the Iron Giant with the add-on of having these giant dragon metal wings that come out of his back. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to call him, so throughout this synopsis, he's Pickle going, jar. going to be referred to as Space Dragon. Okay. Space Dragon. <laughs> I thought that sounded no. interesting, though. I have an actual logistical question from your pitches. Do the wings serve a purpose other than flying? Because the Iron Giant can fly um, without wings. If it comes up in the pitch, you don't have to tell me now. I just just wanted to make sure. I was curious. Well, I will tell you now. I I don't think I covered it very well in my pitch. So my idea was, one, it would definitely be used for flying. And it'll be like added thrusters to the ability he already has to fly in the seat. Okay. So he can fly faster and farther than any of the other giants, basically. Okay. And then cool. it'll yeah. also be used kind of like as a shield. Um, like he, he can wrap them around himself. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Like, like gargoyles. Yes. Yes, exactly. Like gargoyles. That's actually what I thought of when I was uh, had him in my mind. Not to agree with Which you. gargoyle does he most resemble? Oh, I haven't watched it in such a long time, but what's the main one? The gray one. Goliath. 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 Keith David. He resembles Keith David the most. Yes. Yeah. Does this this Iron Giant looks exactly like voice actor Keith David? <laughs> maybe that should maybe that name. should be the dragon's name, Keith David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, oh, also, there's going to be extra guns that he has on his wings too. You know, like the tip of wings, like the apex of all his them. I don't know, but cannons can come out of there. I'm doing hand gestures so nobody can see them. That's funny. <laughs> okay, so they've landed on uh, the Kennedy Space Center, and uh, they go on a rampage. Basically, they start eating all the metal in sight because that's what they eat. They eat metal. Uh, they even start. There'll be like cool scenes where they start eating the space rockets that they have around Kennedy Space Center. Uh, now, back in the 19. 19- 60s and 70s. I don't know how many of those they had just lying around for display, but in my pitch, they're there, and they're eating them. And then they also start eating, like, the corners off of buildings and stuff like that. Uh, Much like the original movie, I don't want any loss of human life. I think that that's important, so I I know, I know. I think that it's important that the people who are at the Space Center uh, are able to run away before anything happens. Mm -hmm. Because I would say that. (laughs) Is it is it sort of like they're like 
just eating the planet like they're just like decimating it as they go like just tearing apart like city to city like is that uh, that seems to be their goal not to kill anybody exactly yeah they just basically the only thing these giants want is to land on a planet eat all of the metal resources and then destroy the planet because they're done Um, yeah so it's galactus yes yeah (laughs) so really this should be a galactus of robots it's the the group name (laughs) A war of robots. I don't know. Oh. It, so, it sounded so pretty. <laughs> Woof. Yeah. So this this naturally uh, starts scaring people. So um, the general from the original movie, General Bogard is his name. I had to look it up. He goes and contacts the president to figure out what they're going to do. And they decide to contact uh, the one man who predicted that these giants were dangerous in the first place. Kent Mansley. <laughs> Oh, I couldn't have this movie without without Kent Mansley in it. I just couldn't. He gets the he gets the call while buying bulk chloroform. Yes. Um, actually, unfortunately for Mansley, you can't just try to blow up a tiny town in Maine for no reason without some consequences. So we're actually going to open up on him still being in federal prison because that's probably where he'd be sent after that. Mm-hmm. That was impossible. Oh, sure. <laughs> So we see that he's become even more obsessed with the giant and Hogarth since his incarceration because he was very, very obsessive. Uh, he basically blames him for all of his problems, even though all of his problems are his own making. Uh, so he's been raving for years that the giant was never really destroyed and that he knew exactly where the monster was hiding. Um, he figures this out. This kind of ties into what Mikey had said before about the government surely knows where he is because he's a giant metal man. So he has inside government contacts that he's still kind of friends with. And they've uh, been keeping track of Hogarth. And uh, they they slipped it to him that that's where the giant's been hiding this whole time. In federal prison. Yes, in federal prison. (laughs) Hey, maybe he was on good behavior and he was able to have a weekly phone call or something. (laughs) Get some yard time. (laughs) Yes. They they put the file with all that information in a cake that they <laughs> smuggled in. <laughs> so General Rogard, he's going to visit Mansley's cell, and he uh, lets him know about the situation. And the general promises Mansley his freedom if he agrees to negotiate with the metal invaders uh, to see if they can be reasoned with, because he knows better than anyone that full-out attacking them isn't going to do anything. They're too powerful. Uh, just facing one, they couldn't defeat him. So facing a whole army isn't going to do anything for them. So Mansley agrees to this before the general gives him his one stipulation, and that's that Hogart Hughes has to help because Hogart is still in contact with the Iron Giant. And mm-hmm. he's in the Air Force, so he would somehow be under the command of the general somehow. I don't know. They'd, they'd make him help. They would. So, uh, Hogarth and Mansley are going to be reunited outside the Kennedy Space Center, and it's pretty obvious that their animosity hasn't thawed over the years. Mansley agrees to put aside their differences uh, for the time being, and they head to negotiate with the Space Dragon. That leads the Iron Army. The Army, the U.S. Army, holds back because they know that if they approach with their weapons, it's just going to set them off on a rampage, and they don't want to do that. So, it's just Mansley and Hogarth that uh, approach them. And as soon as they are far enough away from the U.S. Army, Mansley is going to um, incapacitate Hogarth somehow. Like he's going to smack him over the back of the head, and he's going to knock Hogarth out. Because she's going to 
just dump a bunch of chloroform on him. Yeah, but he <laughs> got you again. He's been hiding chloroform in his pocket this whole time. They also baked that <laughs> into the cake, and he's just been waiting. He's doused his suit in chloroform <laughs> and just like waited and just kind of. <laughs> like, give me a hug, Homer. <laughs> Bring it in, son. <laughs> hug it out. Let's hug it For out. For the Hogarth. first twenty minutes after they uh, meet up again, he just keeps trying to hug Hogarth, and Hogarth's like, "No." <laughs> I said no. He keeps yelling hog hug as he tries to hug Hog him. hug. <laughs> That's it. That's how he does it. He has chloroform on his, like, his tie or something. And he, he finally <laughs> pulls Hogarth into a hug. It's somehow an even creepier James Bond. <laughs> yeah. Your tie is doused in chloroform, 007. James Bond, but if his only gadget was chloroform. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh... Okay, so after he knocks him out, um, the sudden violence is going to draw Space Dragon's attention, and mainly is Mansley is going to go up to him and explain that the iron giant that there's been an iron giant like them that's landed on the planet before, and he basically would do anything to see that machine destroyed. Uh, that's all he cares about. He doesn't care about negotiating with this army at all. Uh, he promises that uh, he promises the space dragon anything he wants in exchange for the iron army to devour the giant. Like he straight up wants them to eat him. The space dragon, who finally gets a voice, uh, he's going to be voiced by Sean Connery. And I came up with that idea okay. just because he was one of the picks to voice the iron giant to begin with, and they passed on him. So oh. I really, really want to hear Sean Connery's gravelly, mechanical voice for this. But he still looks exactly like Keith David. Yes. It's just it's just Sean with Connery, voice. Sean Connery's voice, yes. And it, he'll be like it'll be a robotic sounding voice, like the Iron Giant at the beginning, because he still he doesn't really know how to talk. He can understand, but he can't talk very well. So it's real halting English, and it'll get better as the movie progresses. Um, Hogarth comes to during this time, and he manages to hear most of the exchange. Space Dragon agrees to the bargain, and so Hogarth knows he has to act fast. Luckily, Cape Canaveral is right next door to the Kennedy Space Center, so he books it to the nearest plane, um, and in my fantasy world, it's a plane that's, you know, already fueled up and already ready to go, and it can make yeah. it all the way to the Arctic without stopping. <laughs> Absolutely, <Yeah>. of course. <laughs> um, so he flies off so that he can warn the giant. So Hogarth just barely makes it to the Fortress of Solitude uh, before the Iron Army arrives. He tells the giant that he has to flee to safety, but the giant knows why the Iron Army is really here. Um, He says he can't run and hide when he knows that uh, the Space Dragon plans to consume all the metal on the planet. And then... And he says it just like that. His speech has evolved over the years. It has! It has! (laughs) He sounds more like Vin Diesel every day. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he's like we're family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine he'll have short clip sentences, but he'll be pretty easy to understand. Uh, okay, because he was easy. I am Groot. <laughs> he just starts saying that over and over again, and Hogarth knows exactly what he's saying. <laughs> Chronicles of Riddick. <laughs> Triple X. <laughs> the last witch hunter. Oh, um, movie. <laughs> Um, um, Stop other looking films. At I don't own all of the Fast and <laughs> Furious movies. You beat me, Madison. We already referenced Fast and the Furious. Oh, I didn't. I have, the only Vin Diesel movie I have that's not Guardians of the Galaxy is The Last Witch Hunter, and that's not even on the shelf, so. The Pacifier, that's one. That's a cute one. 
The pacifier. The pacifier. No, you already won. Okay, so basically, he knows that the space dragon is going to destroy the planet, and he can't just run away from that. He wants to protect humanity, just like Superman mm-hmm. would. So, um, he says as much to the space dragon when he lands the sent man Brie in his metal arm. And Space Dragon Dragon acknowledges that that's why his army has arrived. Uh, any planet with the technological capability of space travel is advanced enough to devour. So that's kind of why they set their sights on Earth to begin with. It's because of the moon landing. Got it. Uh, so the Space Dragon offers to accept Giant back into the fold so he can join the Iron Army and demolish Earth. Kent finally seems to realize that his plan is falling apart um, because instead of eating the Iron Giant, they're offering to have him back into the army with them. He tries to attack Space Dragon in the only way Kent Mansley can by, like, kicking his fingers while he's holding him because Kent Mansley's pretty stupid. and <laughs> he... <laughs> he tries to chloroform the Iron Giant. <laughs> Take that! <laughs> like, I don't... We don't... Everyone stops. It's like, dude, we don't have lungs. <laughs> It's... Well, also the fact that he's going to have a rag about the size of his hand trying to put it over the nose and mouth of that like 50 foot tall iron giant. Yeah. Nobody said Kent Mansley was smart. <laughs> so the space dragon decides to get rid of his little pest that's still in his hand and he basically just throws him. And the iron giant, being the very nice person that he is, uh, flies up and catches him and puts him safely on the ground uh, before he can fall to his death. So the space dragon asks why he would bother to save a mere lower life form like Kent Mansley, and Giant says that every soul is important. And this kind of goes back to the original message from the first movie. Uh, mm-hmm. So space dragon doesn't understand the sentimental mentality, and if he can't convince Giant to join the Iron Army, um, it, he's of no use to him. So he orders his Iron Army to attack Giant, and they instantly transform into that really cool weapons mode where like their heads sink back and mm-hmm. cannons yeah. come out and they've got cannons on their chest and everything. Uh, I thought that'd be a cool visual with a bunch of them doing that. It made me, made me happy. So the giant knows that he needs to convince this iron army that it's not really smart to just keep destroying planet after planet and then moving on. And instead he needs to convince them that they can live here and work with humans like he's been doing and then they would all have a home and they wouldn't need to just destroy and waste everything i could have had him like convey all of that in some kind of big speech but i kind of liked his ability to project images so i Mm. want him to project these images of him working with humans into their minds so we'll get flashbacks to the old movie, like when he saves little boys and when he has a nice place to live in the scrapyard where he can eat all he wants and it's not wasteful. It's actually helping the planet because it's getting rid of all of this excess waste. And it'll there'll be images of him and Hogarth working together. And I think we'll probably also have the image of that deer that dies and makes him feel very sad uh, because that's mm-hmm. kind of the turning point in that movie where he realizes that life really matters. So basically, he's just going to bombard them with all of these images. And I know it's a bit of a stretch, but I really want that to work. So (laughs) I want the army to kind of power down after that. And the only one that doesn't go along with this idea that uh, humans and the giants can live together is going to be Space Dragon. 
he basically says that he's uninterested in this scenario, that it suits him just fine to just keep destroying and moving on from planet to planet. Uh, he has no desire to share resources with weak beings like the humans. So he transforms into his own weapons mode, uh, which includes the Zadons that I mentioned before, like cannons on the tips of his wings, and then more solid armor falls over his wings, so it's like a shield. And he challenges the giant to a battle. And I think it's important that the giant refuses to battle. Uh, he refuses to use his guns because that's what he learned in the first movie is that violence isn't the answer and uh, mm-hmm. every every life matters. Space Dragon decides to fire on Hogarth instead and uh, Iron Giant snaps into action and he tackles Space Dragon so that his cannon fire just misses Hogarth and he takes the Space Dragon under his wings and he starts flying them up towards space. Um higher and faster, which again, this is scientifically improbable, but we're going to suspend belief and we're going to go with it. Uh, they basically leave Earth's atmosphere and they're spiraling towards space together and the space dragon says that the giant's inferior systems aren't a match for the, the power of his metal wings and that's when he turns on the thrusters of his wings and I imagine that they'll start going faster than the speed of light at this point. Um, that's how powerful his wings are. <laughs> Basically, I needed a fast way for them to fly towards the sun, which I realized is very, very far away. <laughs> but um, the giant is going to notice that they're flying closer and closer to the sun, and he's going to think back to the Superman comics, like Superman derives his power from the sun. So mm-hmm. he's going to use the sun to get rid of um, the space dragon once and for all, so he can't destroy the planet that Giant has grown to love. So um, he kind of uses the space dragon's own power against him and he holds him on this trajectory so they both fly towards the sun together and the giant kind of sacrifices, it appears that he uh, sacrifices himself as they fly towards the sun and they get kind of consumed by this blinding flash of light. Again, not super possible, but (laughs) if you guys have any ideas, on how they can get to the sun <laughs> faster. Call an Uber. Call an Uber. Space Uber. Um, hmm. The movie is almost done. We're going to flash forward a few months uh, to back on Earth. Kent Mansley is back in prison, obviously, because he sold out Earth again. Uh, he's being visited by Hogarth, and I kind of wanted to leave Kent Mansley as growing a little bit as a person. Like, he finally realizes that the giant saved his life, and he's not this terrible hulking robot that needs to be dealt with. Um, so basically I'm going to kind of have Kent Mansley finally apologize to Hogarth for everything that he's done to screw everybody over. He apologizes about the giant being dead because he knows how close Hogarth was with it. Um, Hogarth kind of smiles and looks up and he thinks that the giant's still out there somewhere. And so... If I so choose to leave this on a super happy ending, I kind of want to pan out in space again and then kind of have the Iron Giant falling back towards Earth. I don't know if he'll still be like working, but at least his figure can be falling back towards Earth. Mm. So, I don't know. I like happy endings. Sure. Yeah. I I have an idea for the getting to the sun thing. Yes. You say that the... Uh, Iron Giant, Hogarth's Iron Giant projects images into all of the other giants' heads, yes. um, including the dragon. And 
it convinces the other giants, but not the dragon, right? Yes. What if um, after that happens, it kind of like turns the giants on the dragon um, at first, and uh, the dragon like does some like super like super move or something, and like basically destroys all of them in like one like his his army in like one like foul like swoop, and then it's just him and the dragon. They fly up to space. But um, when it seems like the dragon has the upper hand, the giants, you know, can like reassemble and everything, even after they're destroyed. They all start latching on to the dragon. And with their combined force working together, they are faster than the dragon and can like lead him into the sun. Ooh, that's a good idea. Um, so like an iron giant megasaur? Yes. Sort of, yeah. The only reason... That I would balk at that a little bit is because I forgot to mention this. Um, I had an idea at the very end of the movie, while the camera is panning out towards space, we're going to get glimpses of the Iron Giants that have settled onto Earth um, because they like that idea. So we'll like see some in uh, scrapyards. We'll see some kind of acting as cranes, putting together the buildings that they had destroyed previously. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do like your idea because it, it does make sense that they would all... Maybe at the... Maybe at the end, because you said you saw him falling that back down to Earth, you could just see him along with all the other ones falling back down to Earth. I, maybe. I like it. That makes sense. Uh, when you said that they're acting as cranes, you paused long enough that I thought you meant some of them were just acting, <laughs> like doing theater. <laughs> they're doing theater. Yeah. They build giant outdoor theater. To be or not to be. <laughs> Superman. Alexander Hamilton. Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> my name is regina george <laughs> my name's bond james, james bond, bond. <laughs> oh man all right um madison do you have any questions i don't i think uh I, that was really good i mm-hmm. i think it's a very good spiritual sequel i like the idea of this otherworldly force comes in and then the giant has to still has this like duty to save like the world even after basically it was rejected by it sort of so it's like this it's very superman-esque so Mm -hmm. yeah i thought as as an alternate ending if you want a happy ending the iron giant could just fly around the earth backwards really fast and turn time back i thought that's where it was leading to yeah, I kind of thought at first that was where you were going, but <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's, that's funny. You're clever sometimes, Mike. <sighs> Sorry, I just got a sh- shiver down my spine. I'll stop complimenting you. I'll only say mean things, just like I always do. Uh, okay, so Madison, I don't know if you want, but we we can try our fifteen minute. Yeah, our fifteen oh. minute rodeo. Okay, we're at like fifty nine minutes right now. So, yeah, I mean, this will edit down. Yeah. Um, we can try it. Do you have an idea? Uh, I, I had a couple, like, okay. nuggets of ideas, but... Cool. Jesse, will you start a 15-minute timer for us? Yes. And we're going to... Let's stretch first. You know, like, get our equal, equalizing muscles. Which are oddly mostly in our back. <laughs> yeah. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. You gotta carry a lot of uh, out there ideas, so that's why it's all your best. 
before we do this, Jesse, is there a title to this other than just the Iron Giant Two? Did you have a? Yeah, I I thought maybe like the Iron Giant Two, the Iron Army. The Iron Army. Okay. Okay. All right. Here's my pitch, Madison, for us. Uh, the Iron Giant versus the Iron Lady, and it's the Iron Giant meeting Margaret Thatcher and fighting <laughs> Damn. Margaret Thatcher. That's pretty great. <laughs> okay, hey, you don't start the time. Go ahead and start the time. That's my. That's an official injury right, for an idea. Ready, go. <laughs> I don't know how that would work necessarily, uh, but uh, Margaret Thatcher, like all about surveillance, surveillance and surveillance. Mm-hmm. You got, you got yeah. it. Surveillance. Yeah. Somehow the Iron Giant doesn't like that, and he goes around and just destroys a bunch of. Well, and also like protesting at her when she's like busting unions and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think it could be funny. We could also do a legitimate idea. <laughs> Yeah, what were some of your other ideas? We'll come back to that if it comes up again. I had a brief one that it was basically like ET two, like the plan that S- Steven Spielberg had for ET two, yep. where it's basically kind of what Jesse. That's did, what I was like, thinking too. More more giants come back. <laughs> uh, we could lean into the Superman thing and make it like a supervillain. Okay. Shows up uh, of some kind. We could. Do... What if Camp Mansley he builds mm-hmm. his own Iron Giant like to. <laughs> Uh-huh. face the other iron giant because he's out for revenge i like it and maybe he's in the giant too like he's controlling it like because that is like a lex Luthor thing of it is. doesn't trust superman because he's dangerous but he trusts himself quotes. with this like technology to yeah. not take over the world okay so he builds his own does he do this from inside prison <laughs> so i agree with jesse i think he's in like a federal prison Maybe he escapes. Maybe that's like something that comes up at the beginning of the movie and he escapes and then there, it time jumps because it would take him a while to sure. uh, build a mech suit. Uh, okay, so he it's, it's, I don't know, a year or two after the events of the Iron Giant and he escapes prison and then we time jumped a number of years while he <laughs> builds a super suit. I guess so. I mean, we don't have to time jump. He would have to be able to contact someone, maybe contact some sort of scientist figure mm-hmm. that... Or he knows of some like black site project that's working yeah. on something like this. I think we start a few, like a number of years after, like they're working on some kind, the government is working on some kind of thing in case more giants show up and aren't friendly. Uh, mm-hmm. And he finds out about it and goes and steals that. And it can be... I don't know, is it a suit or is it like a weapon? I think he has to control it. So it has to be something that makes him, maybe it's some sort of enhancer. Maybe it's like a super soldier thing. What if it makes him real big? Like he's as big as the giant now or even bigger. That could work. That could work. Um, It's like a, he's basically Ant-Man. It's like a, it's an Ant-Man situation. Uh, I have a title for this movie now. What is it? The Mansley Giant. The Mansley Giant. <laughs> okay. So he just is he just hunting down the Iron Giant? Maybe he's trying to like lure him out. Yeah, I think he steals this and he tries to lure him out by destroying a city. Maybe he destroys the town from the first movie because he thinking. was very adamant about that in the first movie. Mm-hmm. And the Iron Giant catches wind of it. What if what if Hogarth like this starts happening and Hogarth tries to track him down? If it's only a few years after, he would only be like what like thirteen. Mm-hmm. I think he was nine in the original. So, what if like he goes and tracks him down because he knows where he is? Maybe he like did, maybe similarly communicates through him mm-hmm. to him like through some sort of product projections, sure. 
And he gets there and he's like, the world needs your help. Come on. And the giant is hesitant because he doesn't want to die. (laughs) Right. You know, like, I think he has gained, like, somewhat humanity. And, like, it's like, I'm scared. I don't want to die. And this thing was built to destroy me. Like, it would definitely overcome me. I think also then he doesn't want to fight because that's a thing that, like, Hogarth instilled in him. Like, in the first one, he didn't really fight. I mean, he did when he got... Like, when they triggered his defensive weapons. But, like, I think he's... Like, this is... Uh, last time, I just went up and flew a missile into space. This time, you're asking me to go fight a dude. Yeah, you're asking me to kill this person who, by and large, is pretty evil. But, right. like, he's still a person. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the way... That was my intended purpose, was to kill. I don't want to kill. So, at the end of the movie, when he finally beats Mansley, does he, like, snap his neck like General Zod in Man of Steel? I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, you brought up killing. I was just going to have him yeah. beat him up. And, yeah. But... I mean, yeah. I think that was the implication, because I would think, like, it's like, oh, you have to go stop this person. You have to go defeat him. Mm-hmm. And then Hogarth's like, what if you just go beat him up real bad and, like, don't kill him? It's like, but he'll never stop. Like, he'll never stop, like, trying to kill himself, you know? All right, so how does he convince the giant, then, to do this fight? I don't know. Maybe it's it's somewhat of a Matrix thing, too, (laughs) Uh, where, if I'm remembering these movies correctly, Neo goes, and he's going to let Agent Smith kill him. It's like, oh, this is all Mansley wants is to kill me. That's all he wants is the whole reason why he's doing this. Hmm. I'm just going to go let him destroy me, and then it's going to be over. But, but he can also rebuild himself, so I guess maybe Mansley's found a MacGuffin that allows him to stop that from happening. He could give Hogarth something. It's like, if you press this button after I'm disabled or something, maybe he can shut that function of himself off himself. I think there is this. There is a reason that this is a final death for yeah. the Iron Giant. Uh, so then, does is that it? He lets Mansley destroy him? I mean, that's where we need to go from here. Because I don't think even if... I don't even think even if Mansley destroyed the Iron Giant that he would stop after that, okay. you know? Yeah. He's he's total supervillain status at this point, so... Okay, so the Iron Giant goes to, like, let himself get destroyed to stop Mansley, and then does he realize that this isn't actually going to stop him? And then mm. fights? Or what's, like... Because I'm confused now about where we're going with this one. It's like we're doing this very fast. We are on a timer. <laughs> With seven well, that's minutes plenty of left. time. Yeah. Oh, there's something out there. What do you think? Well, no, that's what I'm, I'm trying to. What, what in your mind? Because this is kind of your, your, your running this plot. Does the Iron Giant go and sacrifice himself, and then s- somehow they bring him back, or does the Iron Giant go to sacrifice himself, realizes that Manly's never going to stop, and then fights him? Like, what's how does this play in your mind? I mean, I think the Iron Giant goes there because he knows because it's what it's what Mansley wants, and he wants him mm-hmm. to just. Just okay, destroy me, get it over with. Because he 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 is the type of person, as seen in the first movie, that would just sacrifice himself mm-hmm. for the fate of everybody else. Sure, as Superman would, I think too. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, where it goes from there, I'm not sure. All like, right, so he destroys the Iron Giant, and then doesn't stop being a supervillain. So, mm-hmm. does Hogarth do something? Do they try to rebuild the giant by hand? I think I think maybe it, it just inspires. Maybe inspires Hogarth to be a superhero, or like it, like it's inspiring like other people to be like, "Fuck you, man!" No. So he's we said like thirteen. I guess he's not old enough, or else he could be a superhero that flies an airplane and fights giant metal robots. Now, where have I seen that one before? Yeah. 
Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I would say even after he destroys the Iron Giant, Mansley's just clear that he's not going to stop. He's, like, drunk with power. Mm-hmm. Hogarth, maybe he hops in his plane and he tries to destroy the thing that is making him giant. So this is a number of years later, not like just yeah. a few. Because when we were earlier, we started it was just a few, and Hogarth was thirteen. Yeah. So we're going to look more like Jesse's, like sixty-nine, where he'd be like twenty-one or so. Maybe. All right, so let's let's do that. So he jumps in his plane, and I don't know, maybe he rallies the Air Force. They could do that fun thing like they do in Empire Strikes Back, where they fly around his legs with ropes. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think that the people stopping Mansley is a good angle. Yeah. But I don't know. Is it just a lot of people show up with like rolling pins and pitchforks and stuff and try to try to save the day? Or is it do we rally like the world powers? And hmm. when you say like he does the Empire Strikes Back thing, I, th- I think I like that idea mm-hmm. of like tripping him. I guess like what is the thing he's using that makes him giant? Do you think it's like a headband or like a like an implant or something like um I, at first, I was thinking maybe like a ray gun. A ray gun? Yeah. That made him giant? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's super. If it's a super science, they would just need a some sort of ray to like make him small again. Oh, um, okay. So, um, there is a comic called Justice League New Frontier, and it's set in like the fifties, and it's like an origin. And there's a point where they're fighting this thing that's huge, and they have to shrink it down with this little ray gun, but the ray has to encompass the entire body, so they give it to the Flash, who runs around so fast that the beam is hitting it everywhere at once. What if they do something like that, where they have to retrofit these planes with the ray guns? Okay. And so they're flying go. around, trying to cover his whole giant body with the ray. Yeah. I think that fits. I think that's good. <laughs> what if we set up earlier that Dean has this new like art project he's doing, okay. and it's a bunch of mirrors, and the mirrors bouncing off of the ray, like <laughs> like they get him, like they get the giant in it, and the rays like do hit him at all places at once. Once they're like fired into this, thing. I like it. And then Hogarth, once Mansley is small again, Hogarth walks up to him, punches him in the face, and he's like, "Fuck you, man." Credits. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. That's it. We did it. Okay, sure. Iron Giant's dead. Good job with two minutes to spare. Yeah, that's one of our closer. For sure. All right, so are we calling it the Mansley Giant? Sure. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's not one of our best ones. It, it's fine. You know what? It's fine. It's good. Jesse had multiple weeks to work on hers. <laughs> you did it in 15 minutes. This is a good idea. All right, did we do it? I think we did it. Jesse? Yes, you did. All right. Jesse, would you like to tell people where they can find you online if you would like them to? No, because I don't have a social media presence. <laughs> Fair enough. So just give them your address. Yeah, just you know. personal address. This is where you can drive Social security you. number. Come see my baby. <laughs> Pin number. Yeah. Madison Jones, tell the people where they can find us. The people can find us on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and everywhere else podcasts are found. By searching the equalizers. Wherever you go for that sweet podcast frozen yogurt, we have all the flavors. Whatever junkyard you go to to scavenge for (laughs) parts for your iPod so you can turn it on again and listen to those podcasts. Pick out the part that lets you listen to the Equalizers podcast. Head on down to your local farmer's podcast market and get a big bushel of fresh episodes. Jesse, you want to do one? <laughs> we never offered to oh a guest before. Oh my god, how I follow that up? Oh. <laughs> Just start talking. 
very stop. slowly and eventually you'll end a sentence <laughs> um <laughs> come on down to your local theater that's broken down and that's where you live now and that's where you <laughs> 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 to your podcast <laughs> while you stare at the blank screen <laughs> imagining the pictures yes <laughs> developing in front of you I like in the in the lore that you live in a an abandoned movie theater is that the Iron Giant is the only movie that's left there and that's why we're doing this one yes, this week. I watch it over and over again. We have weird lore that like Madison is a ghost that lives with Idris Elba and Sir Patrick Stewart. Kylie is a confirmed servant of Satan. Uh, it's uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the Equalizers. Gmail is equalizers at gmail.com. Uh, our Instagram is the underscore equalizers, where we post a teaser for the next week's episode. And I'm not sure what it's going to be for this one, but it was probably wild. Yeah. <laughs> you can also find us on Rotten Tomatoes at King Dwarf, one word, 69. Special thanks on our theme song, Rock Thing. Go to Creo. You can find them at www.creo-music.com. Now, Jesse, as you know, the guest gets to pick the next week's movie. And I think I know what you're going to pick because we've talked about this. I'd like to say but you brought this on yourself. I did. You guys, I, I, I dug a very deep grave and then also made a bed in it. Um, uh, Mike has gotten me into some real shit here. And I, I appreciate I appreciate that. Yes. Um, I'm going to challenge you guys to the cinematic marvel that is Christian Mingle the movie. <laughs> yeah, so some months ago when we were a wee baby podcast, I found out that there is a movie called Christian Mingle the movie. And I posted on my personal Facebook uh, a challenge saying that if 10 people shared the link to our podcast on their Facebook, I would watch and live blog Christian Mingle the movie. And only Jesse hated me so much <laughs> that she that she did it. No one else shared it. No one else did anything with it. But Jesse hated me so much and wanted me to suffer that she's the only one who did. So one night I watched it and I, I only on her Facebook, I posted about it. Uh, and I wanted her to come on and pitch a sequel to Christian Mingle, but she decided to torture Madison instead. <laughs> yeah. It's just because so. I think that Madison is the only one who could make a sequel worth watching out of Christian oh, Mingle. Oh, wow. <laughs> you, well, thank you. Thank I don't you. Mike. <laughs> I mean, I already told you thank my you. ideas, but uh, joke's on you. It's a riff episode next week, so... <laughs> That'll probably be better. <laughs> So be sure to tune in next week for Christian Mingle the Movie 2. I'm so sorry. So, for The Equalizers. I'm Madison Jones. I'm Jesse Fleming. I'm Mike Knoll. I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm not throwing away my <laughs> shot. To be continued. My name is Jake. Just Jake. I can't tell you my last name, or where I live, or even promise you Jake is my real first name. What I can tell you, what is absolutely true, is that they are here. Have you ever looked up at the night sky and wondered if there was alien life out there? Stop wondering. They're called Yurks. They're here on Earth, and they aren't friendly. The Yurks are parasites, 
They're slugs that crawl into your ear and wrap around your brain and take control of your body. Anyone could be controlled by a yerk. Your teacher? Your parents? You? Me and my five friends, Rachel, Cassie, Marco, Tobias, and Axe, are the only ones who have any chance of stopping the yerks. Because we have powers. The power to morph into any animal we can touch. We are the Animorphs. Hear our story every Friday on Audiomorphs, wherever podcasts are found.